All right, so how's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. A few of us doing all right. John chapter 15 this morning. John chapter 15. I'm telling you, that's what Brother Sean's on in here so I can say this. He uh, had the handout, which if you weren't here Wednesday night, like we had a little debacle. I forgot to say that we had handouts and didn't give them to him. And then we were like, I was a point in without any handouts and it was, it was awkward. So he was, he was prompt this morning and he looked at the thing and goes, oh, uh, doing the same. Uh, this is uh, from Sunday. I was like, from last Sunday. I was like, well, it's it's not, but it, it is at the same time. So, so. But if you weren't here last Sunday, we are uh, we are going to do a little bit of reviewing. <clears throat> I'm just this is this is the way I study. I'm kind of systematic. It's easier for me, and uh, I just slowly break stuff down. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to break down. Uh, last week we read John 15 1 through 8. That was our entire text. Uh, we broke down about four and a half verses. Uh, so we'll break down the other three and a half uh, this morning. So, abiding in Jesus, that's what we're talking about. Abiding uh, in the vine, breaking down exactly as we already, we have last week, but if you weren't here, breaking down exactly what that's calling us to, what that means, um, and uh, seeing how that can't produce some fruit in our life. So, let's read the text this morning and then... Uh, we will dive into it. I don't have the, the text on your handout. So, and if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles, you have your Bible, turn it to John 15. Because like, just like last week, we're going to do a little bit of flipping this morning. That's kind of old school. Um, for some of our teens in here, this is a little bit of a, a spoiler alert. But I've been telling Tori, I think like every fifth Wednesday, we're going to start doing no PowerPoint and straight Bible turning. Because uh, people need to know how to turn the Bible. So, and we don't do that a lot these days. So... We're going to do that this morning, though, just a little bit of Bible turning. So, uh, so go there with John 15, and we'll kind of move around a little bit. So, let's look at verse 1. It says, I am, the, I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that, it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Verse 8, this is the final conclusion of, of application, uh, if we apply the first seven verses, herein is my Father glorified. That's what we all would desire to do in our lives if we're Christians. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. And again, I said, I said this last week, but we'll continue to say it, that we are much about discipleship in this church. Brother Sean made mention of our slide. Uh, that, is, that is our mission. We are here to win people to Christ, to build them up, which is, that's often the, the neglected thing in most Baptist churches is the building process, and we are big about that here. But, man, we have to remember that someone, that in order to be a disciple, it is somebody that is bearing fruit, that is glorifying the Father, which comes from abiding in the Lord. And so we'll break that down a little bit more this morning. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would relay your word through the Spirit of God to your people this morning. God, I pray that we would apply what's needed. You would uh, reveal. You would convict. You would pry open. You would expose to us whatever needs exposing. Lord, I pray that, God, I pray that if anybody's here this morning that doesn't know you, that somewhere in the midst of John 15 here, they'd find their need for the vine. They'd find their need for a Savior and that they are hopeless without a Savior. I pray that you'd be glorified in everything that takes place. Uh, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, here obviously looking, this is abiding in Jesus part two. Uh, abiding in the, the second part here that we're looking at. And so last week, in, in the form of review, we broke down three questions that I want to remind ourselves of this morning. Uh, just in case you weren't here, or even if you were to kind of get this plane off the ground, if you will. So, number one, we ask this question. What does it mean to abide? What does it mean to abide? Because obviously Jesus is telling us, we see several times, verse 4, abide in me. Verse 5, uh, he that abideth in me. Verse 6, if a, man, if a man abide not in me, 
Verse 7, if you, so over and over and over we see that, and it's not a complicated word. It's a word that we understand what it means. It's simple. But there's, some, there's, some, there's a reason we need to define it here specifically in this text. But let me give you this definition first. It's the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. And as I said last week, the way that we define words in the Word of God is we compare Scripture with Scripture. And then after we've compared Scripture with Scripture, I would tell you the next best source is the, this Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Okay? And it, it's important that we define words because you would be so amazed... Because there's a reason there's 50 different denominations within, a, within five miles of this place, right? People have, people read the same Bible that we do oftentimes, read the very same verses that we do, but they come to completely different conclusions than we do. And the reason that is is because they don't know how to properly break down Scripture. They don't know how to properly define the word that the Lord's telling them to apply. So it means, this is, this is what a definition. Abide means to dwell to rest or to continue, okay? So this is why I say we must define it, because if I want you to look one chapter prior, and this is not on your handout or, or the screen, but like last week, we're going to just look around here. John 14 comes before John 15, and that's deep. But verse 16 says this. This is, the, this is Christ is, is here talking to his disciples, and Christ is laying some things out to his disciples that they have no even comprehension of. And, and one of those things they have no comprehension of is that, there's going, that, that Jesus is going to leave, right? All they know about their, about their life with the Lord at this point is that he's physically with them. But verse 16, he says this. He says, I, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. You'll notice comforters capitalized in your Bible. He shall give you another comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, that he may, and I notice the word, that he may abide with you. Okay, so what he's telling them here in verse in, in chapter 14 is that the, the Spirit of God is going to come and abide with you. Okay, so just like last week, we, we broke this down. The, when we got saved, we had no, we had nothing to do with the Spirit of God coming down and, and then indwelling us. We just we just got saved. We received Jesus Christ. We responded by faith to the offer and the word of God of salvation. Okay, but in this, what's important is we see, the, we see the, the positional abiding in chapter 14. But then when we get to, to, to chapter 15, what we see here is this is the practical abiding. So I want you to notice this in your notes after we gave that definition, that abide here is a verb. And he's telling us to do it. So I want you to see the disconnect here. Chapter 14, the reason this is a positional abide is because, again, we don't do anything for the Spirit of God to be inside of us. Once we're saved, He's just inside of us. But then a chapter later, He is telling us, hey, I want you to abide in me. So it's a, it's a, it's a practical abiding. And so the, the example I gave you last week was, was a husband and wife, me and Tori, we are married uh, Positionally, you can go to the courthouse and find documentation saying that we are married. Nothing that can change that unless we, we, we make, that, make that happen, right? So we are legally married. But practically, if I begin to no longer dwell with her, if I begin to no longer be with her, to, to spend intimate time with her, to invest in her and her invest in me, then you see that is, that is the practically, even though we are together practically, man, we're, we're not living as one flesh. And I hope that makes sense to you. So that, that's the difference here, and that's what, that's what Jesus is calling us to here. So to abide, again, means to dwell, to rest, or continue. So Jesus is calling us to that. So John, uh, we can see that in, again, John 15, 4, as I read earlier. But again, notice this is a command. Abide in me, and I in you. Now notice, that's, if there, I'm... I could not tell you, hey, let the Spirit of God be inside of you right now. No, he's either in you or he's not. And the Bible says that he that, does, that doesn't have the Spirit is none of his. Okay, so abide in me. Practically, dwell with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. Okay, so we'll say more about this, but this is dispensationally, and that's a fancy word that a lot of people don't like us to get into, but doctrine matters, and we're going we're gonna to weed through the doctrinal things here in a minute. 
But dispensationally, this is not the church age here in John 15. Why is that? Well, because Jesus has not died. The death of the testator has not taken place. So Jesus is not running a church here. These are, these are 12 Jewish men that are following him. But, but nonetheless, I still want you to see that the Apostle Paul still gives us a very similar command in 1 Corinthians. You know what, you know what Corinth, the Corinthians were? They were the church of, in Corinth. He says, ye are bought with a price. Okay, now we're working, right? This is the church age. Because at this point, the disciples were not bought with a price. Jesus had not died. We now, if we are in Christ, we've been bought with a price. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. So again... The command here, the call here to the Christian, to us as, as believers in Jesus Christ that already positionally have the Spirit of God abiding in us, is he's telling us, man, hey, I want you to dwell with me. I want you to be with me. I want you to spend time with me. I want you to depend upon me. And that's what John 15 is all about. So what does it mean to abide? We, we broke that down. Number two, we ask this. Why is it important that we abide in Jesus? And this is real simple. It is the only way that we'll bear fruit. It's the only way that, we're, that we will bear fruit. So, as we've laid out last week, and we've been talking about this kind of stuff with the youth group, I, I think this is where you start to get on the track where you see people, you see pastors, you see, you fill in the blank, good Christians, people that are serving the Lord, that all of a sudden get to the place where they seem to, to fall off a cliff in their ministry. Or they seem to fall off a cliff with their family, or whatever it may be. And what I would propose to you, majority of the time, is that although things in the public light continue to, to press on like normal, things privately, where Jesus was telling them, hey, I want you to dwell with me, things privately began to be neglected. And then the neglection of that private worship, that private abiding, that private ministry, began to roll over into their public ministry. And so that is why we must, we must remember, hey, we can still do the, we can still be busy in this place, but if it's not coming from the fueling of abiding with Jesus, it's a waste of time. So the only way that we will, the, the only, the why it's so important is because abiding in Christ is the only way that will that we'll bear fruit. John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, and we should know this, but we forget this sometimes. For without me, ye can do nothing. And then number three, we ask this third question. So, okay, we know what, what we're talking about here in John 15. We see what Jesus is calling us to, even though we're in the church age now. We need to dwell with the Lord, spend time with him. It's a call really to acknowledge that we're in a relationship with Jesus. And we've broken down here and answered why it's important that we do that, because without it, we don't bear fruit. But, but thirdly, we want to ask this again. Who does fruit affect in our lives? Because we would be fooling ourselves if we think that there are not, because this is Laodicea. We'd be fooling ourselves if we think there are not droves of Christians. I would propose to you probably the majority of Christians that have genuinely called upon Jesus for salvation Yet, they actually don't care if they produce fruit. So who, so who does it affect in our lives? What's, what's the big deal with it? Well, first of all, it affects us individually. You bearing fruit in your life actually affects you. Galatians 5.22, we see this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Okay, now we, if you're, you've been through discipleship, you know the, these are just nine manifestations of the singular fruit of the Spirit. We yield ourselves we, to Him, we walk in the Spirit, and He produces these things in our life. But the reason I bring this up and how it affects us individually is because specifically those first three, love, joy, and peace, specifically joy and peace, man, there are people that are willing to pay thousands and millions of dollars to have those things. There's a benefit to it. And so it affects us because of simply those things. 
if we abide in the Lord and if we bear fruit because it, it gives us those things. The Lord, the Spirit of God does that in us, through us. So it affects us individually, but secondly, this is pretty common sense, but it affects others. This is, we're just talking about why it's so important we do bear fruit. It affects others, Genesis 1.11. This is the verse we always go to in talking about the, uh, what discipleship really, the, the, the crux of it, if you will. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind. And I think this is the first time fruit's mentioned, law first mentioned. I mean, it's pretty early in the Bible, Genesis 1. But the tree fruit yielding fruit, notice this, after his kind. So we only, we talk about discipleship, we want to reproduce spiritual life in others. We only produce the spiritual fruit that God wants when the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is being manifested through our lives, which comes from abiding in the Lord. So this, this re, is reproduced in others. So it affects others. As we produce the Spirit of God, as the Spirit of God produces it through us, it produces fruit in other people, which, by the way, ch it changes their life. It sanctifies them. It grows them. And then thirdly, and, and again, if you weren't here last week, I said this. I'll say it again. I don't know if we necessarily think about the magnitude of this third, this third section I'm laying out here. But, whether, but the fruit in our life, it actually affects the Father. Now you would say, well, how, how, does, how does it affect the Father? It doesn't, I'm not saying it changes the Father. I'm not saying that it, it changes the mind of the Father, which we have here in these 66 books. But he is, a God, he is a God of feelings. He is a God of emotions. And it does affect the Father. And we know that because of the verse we read a second ago, John 15, 8. Notice this. Herein is my Father glorified. That ye bear much fruit. So if, if that is how the Father is glorified, then we have to use the reverse logic and say that if somebody is not bearing fruit, then man, the Father's not glorified. And we'd be crazy to think that that doesn't affect him, considering that's why we're even created. We're, we're created for him. And that's what Revelation 4.11 breaks down. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Notice this, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure. That's how it affects them. He's created that person for his pleasure. And when they cease to do the thing they were created to do, man, he doesn't receive the pleasure in his creation that they were created for. And for thy pleasure, they are and were created. Man, it's a crazy thing. There are people that are living and breathing right now that will curse the name of God, and they don't even know it, but the only reason they're here is actually to bring pleasure to the one they're cursing. And so, man, the same is true with us. When, when we cease to yield fruit, when we cease to have fruit in our lives, it's true, man, it affects the Father. So this was our thesis last week, and I joked uh, that I, was, I felt good about using that word, um, it's, I just feel fancy with it. But our thesis, which is saying this is kind of what we're breaking down across the last, the last week and this week, is our main statement, if you will, is this. Our call to abide is a call to intimacy and dependence. And I've, I've, I've laid that out already, and even so this morning. But specifically, that's what I'm, I've been trying to, try, try, trying to show you the difference necessarily between the positional abiding in John 14 in the practical abiding that he's calling us to in John 15, because he's calling us to intimacy. He's calling us to dependence. And then this was our reminder that we, that we looked at last week that we'll continue to dwell on as we move through this this morning. But it's this. Fruit comes <clears throat> from intimacy with the Father. And that sounds simple, and we know that. But just as a woman... Just as a mother has no ability to produce fruit in her womb without intimacy with the Father, neither do we have the ability to produce that fruit when we haven't first spent intimate time with the Father. And so that is the very, fuel, the very fueling in ministry. That is the very fueling in our Christian life. You may have heard the expression before that you can't pour out from an empty cup. But that is actually true. And I think it's easy, at least me at times, it's easy to find myself busy, you know, very busy and in the rat race of the, even the Christian life. 
Yet, man, I get to the place oftentimes where, man, the fueling has never taken place. And I'm, I'm, I'm rolling off of, off of what my flesh can produce, which doesn't produce anything worth glorifying the Lord. So these were our two points last week, and then we'll move into two more this morning. Number one, we saw that Jesus is the true vine from John 15, 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. And that's so important because we see this, this connection in this whole story that we are the branch, as John 15, 5 said. And you think about the illustration. Jesus is the vine, so the, the, very, the very source that the branch produces its fruit from is the vine. But I think it's interesting, again, as we said last week, that Jesus makes point to say that he's the true vine. Just as he says in John 1 that, he's, that John the Baptist said he's the true light, which lets us know that if, if, if they need to, to bring emphasis on the fact that there's a true vine and true light, then there are many things falsely proclaiming to offer the very same thing that never actually can. And oftentimes that's our own flesh. We, we, we yield to our flesh to produce the things of God, and it, it's just not the vine. It just doesn't produce what the vine can produce. And then number two, we laid this out. We, we laid out God's method to get us abiding. So wherever you're at this morning, maybe you are abiding, maybe you're not. But what God always does with his children, what he does is when he, he wants, again, because he wants glory from our lives. He wants glory from our lives, which, which is connected to us bearing fruit. So it's a loving and gracious thing, but he purges us as the branch. He prunes us. As the branch cuts us back, which comes through unfortunate things in our eyes sometimes, trials, hard times, whatever that may be, but he does that because that is actually what causes us to abide in a more deep way. And it's sort of like this. When things are easy, you know what I find myself thinking a lot of times? I find myself thinking, you know what, I, I think I got this thing. I think I got the Christian life. I think I... I think I'll, I can produce a little fruit. Lord, I think, Lord, I, stand by. I got it from here. But what the Lord does, as he always does, is he begins to cut back in our life so that when, when times are hard, you know what I know? Lord, I need you. Lord, I can't go into today without first getting before you, getting still before you, getting in your word, spending time in prayer, because I desperately need you. And that's so he does that. He cuts us back. He, he prunes the branch. And that brings us to our third thing here, as, we'll, as we dissect these last uh, two verses, really, three verses. But we've laid out exactly all we're looking at, but I want you to see this. Number three, the danger of not abiding in Jesus. The danger of not abiding in Jesus. So again, if this is a command... The Lord has, has no purpose in commanding us to do something if we automatically are going to do it, right? There, that, there's, a, there's a free will involved. And as we've already laid out I, and we've, we've talked about, there is, there is many times in our lives, many times in my life, where I begin to neglect this practical abiding, but there is a danger to that. And we, we could say, as we've already looked at, that the danger of that would be that, it does, that you won't produce fruit, and that's true. But specifically, verse 6 gives us a little, little bit of more detail. Verse 6 says this, John 15, 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Now, we need to get our doctrinal hand, handlings on this verse before we get into the application of it. And I always get weird. I always feel weird when I'm about to preach doctrine because most people just don't like it. But it's, it's, it's what matters. So letter A, I want you to see this. We must remember that at, the, that at the moment of Jesus saying this, that no disciple was in Christ. Okay, we've already, I kind of talked about some of this at the beginning. But no disciple was in Christ because Jesus had not died. John 15 is not the church age. So why do I go through and spend time saying that? Well, because there are actually people that will go to John 15, 6, They'll go to the book of Matthew, they'll go to the book of Hebrews, and they will use this as a verse to contradict eternal security. And they'll tell you, hey, if you're not producing fruit, by the way, the Calvinists love this, if you're not producing fruit, then you're not his. 
Now, I would say that we are to produce fruit. And I would say that if, if somebody can never produce fruit and never be convicted about that at any point in their life, they certainly need a, a checkup from the neck up. But the, the, the saying, the, the, the reality still is true that the Apostle Paul lets us know very clearly that eternal security is a very real thing. And so again, it's important that we kind of get our handlings on this because again, what people will actually say is, hey man, if you don't produce fruit, you know what he says? He'll cast you into the fire. So are you producing fruit? So it's important that we see what Paul says about this whole deal with eternal security as we kind of just make our runway into this. So I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 1. Which says, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Okay? That's how we all got saved. We heard the gospel of our salvation. And then because we heard the gospel of our salvation, we heard what Jesus did for us, we then trusted him. That's, that's, how, it, that's how it went down. In whom also after that ye believed, notice this, ye were sealed. Okay, that's a permanent thing. Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession and to the praise of his glory. Romans 8. These are just eternal security verses, but we have to get, our, again, our handlings on this. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall, shall, be, able, or shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? We're seeing this. It's eternal security. It's the promise that once we were saved, we were sealed God, God is going to, to keep his word and his end of the bargain on this whole thing of, of salvation. Now look at 2 Timothy. Because this, this, this passage, and again, if, 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 if you think this kind of thing is like, Dylan, you're wasting your time even getting in this, I'm telling you. You're going to come across somebody one day that's going to challenge you on what you believe. And they're going to use scripture, they're going to use chapter and verse references, and you have to know how to rightly divide that. So look at what he says in 2 Timothy. These are two guys that are not bearing fruit. Okay, example of this, I want you to see this. And their fruit, I'm sorry, and their word will eat as doth a canker. Okay, so the word of these guys, these teachers in Paul's day, their words will eat as a canker. Of whom is uh, Hymenus and Philetus, Philetus, however you prefer to pronounce that. I like to mix a little uh, Georgian with that. Verse 18. Who concerning the truth have erred. All right. Not fruit. Saying that the resurrection is past already. And overthrow the faith of some. Now I want you to notice verse 19. You've seen what these guys have done. These guys are not producing fruit. Matter of fact, the Lord is reprimanding them through Paul. He's giving his opinion on them. Verse 19, he says, Nevertheless, despite what they're doing, despite the lack of fruit, despite this, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. What is the foundation? According to 1 Corinthians 3, it's the Lord Jesus. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having Notice this, we just read this, a verse that, that cross-references to this. Having this seal, what was the seal in Ephesians 1? The Spirit of God at the moment of salvation. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Okay? So I, I want you to, we have to get our handlings on that because we, we need to know what this verse is not saying to us in the church age. So that we can then compare Scripture with Scripture to say, okay, well, Lord, what does it say to me in the church age? And that brings us to letter B. We will not be cast in the fire, but what we know from comparing Scripture with Scripture, if we don't abide, therefore don't bear fruit, is the letter B. If we don't abide in Jesus, our work will not abide at the judgment seat of Christ. If we don't abide in Jesus, our work will not abide at the judgment seat of Christ. And this takes us to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which does give us something that, that we can find application from in verse 6, that, that a lack of fruit in our life does produce something thrown in the fire from us. It's just not our souls. 
And it says this, now if any man build upon this foundation, remember, uh, there's two cats in 2 Timothy 2, they had this foundation, which was the, the Lord Jesus, the seal of the Spirit of God. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, remember those are the eternal things, wood, hay, and stubble, those are, those are temporal things, every man's work shall be made manifest or made known for the day, the day of Christ, uh, the judgment seat of Christ shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Okay, so there we see something being thrown in the fire. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. A reward. Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved Yet so is by fire. So the application to us in verse 6 of John 15 is, hey, if a man abide not in me, man, then our whole life can be wasted though Christ be in us because when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, he'll throw the very, the very sum of our life, the very works of our life, he will throw it into the, into the, into the fire. And it will produce nothing for the Lord Jesus in eternity. So I want you to see this point. Abiding in Jesus produces abiding work. Okay, that's what we're talking about, is abiding in Christ. But now we saw in 1 Corinthians 3 that the same word shows up, abide. So abiding in Jesus produces abiding work. Notice this, because work done through the Lord Jesus is of the right sort. So, okay, so I want you to look back in 1 Corinthians 3.13 as we, as we just read that. So we have these, these two people. One person, their, their life is made of gold, silver, and precious stones. Okay, their work will abide because it's of the right sort. But then we have these other people, that their, their life is, is, is made up of wood, hay, and stubble. <coughs> and that is temporal things. And we know simply by fire that wood, hay, and stubble, when you throw that into a fire, it, it disintegrates, right? You're not going to see it in a couple minutes. And so because of that, there's, as they go into eternity, they have nothing to show for it based on what that verse says, except that they are saved, yet so as by fire. In other words, man, they're going in, and, and I don't want to get crazy with you, and I've preached this in here before, but they'll, they'll go in empty-handed, literally. Not, not even nothing. They go into, the, into eternity with nothing to glorify the Lord Jesus. But I, I want you to notice this, this, this same word abiding here keeps showing up, but look at 1 Corinthians 3.13. We said that, that Jesus, that us abiding in Jesus produces abiding, an abiding work because it's of the right sort. Well, notice what he says there. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So that's so important, and we've talked about that in here before, but I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul, he doesn't say that the fire tries every man's work of the amount that it is or the grand total of what it is. But he simply says the sort, which is a very alarming thing because this is what it tells me. It reminds me that people can have big and, and nice and fancy and awesome-looking ministries, and they can have great things, and, 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 and in the eye of the public, it can look like they are just doing the stuff for the Lord Jesus. But according to this, if it's not the right sort, though it be big or small, if it's not the right sort, man, it doesn't abide. It's not abiding work. So the connection here is that the only type of, the only sort of work that will make it through the judgment seat of Christ is that work that was fueled from abiding in Jesus. So it's like this. One way that we can see if, we're, if, we are, if our work is fueled from abiding in Christ is why do we do what we do? You, okay, you, you come to church. Why do you come to church? You teach a class. You teach Awana. Why do you teach an Awana? Why do, you, why do you come here and listen to preaching? Okay, why do I stand here and preach? Why do I preach on Wednesday nights, okay? And, if, and if, as, we, as we examine our life, if those answers, and we know, and we don't have to verbalize it, but we know us better than anybody else, if those answers are truly 
not for the glory of the Lord Jesus, then man, you know what, what that's a testament of? Man, we're, we're working in the flesh. Our work is not of the right sort. And because it's not of the right sort, because it's not fueled from abiding in Christ and intimacy with Christ, then it's not real fruit. And it won't actually produce anything worth value at the judgment seat of Christ. And so that's alarming to me. That's, 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 that is something that I'm always cautious of and always asking the Lord to, to expose to me in my own life. Because I, I said this last week, I'll be honest, if I'm going to do something and it not matter for eternity, I'm not doing this. <laughs> like, there's more fun stuff, I'll be honest, right? I mean, is church the most fun thing in your life? Maybe that was, I don't know, maybe that, was, that was harsh, but I'd be at the lake or something, right? Or the ocean all the time. So if I'm not doing any of this for eternal value, then man, what, what am I doing? Wasting, I'm wasting my time. So it's important that what, the work that we're doing, that it comes from abiding in Jesus Christ. It comes from a yieldedness and an intimacy and a dependence upon him and allowing him to do that through us. So that it truly does redound to glory in eternity. And then number four. I want you to see the full definition of abiding in Jesus. And I probably could have used example there instead of definition. But what I'm saying here is that verse seven is giving us, if we abide in Jesus. And again, this is not a one-time thing. This is not tomorrow morning. You're like, Lord, I'm, I'm abiding. I'm good. Cash me in the next 20 years, right? This is a daily thing. And so, but what, what we're saying here in verse 7 is that if this, if verse 1 through 6, become, or what, verse 1 through 5 becomes my life, it is, if it is my life, then this is what it actually will look like, is verse 7. And it says this, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. And so I want you to notice, first of all, letter A, that abiding in Jesus always results in his word abiding in us. And we, this, this is a good church. We know that around here. But you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised at how many Christians think they can abide in Jesus and not abide in the word of, of the Lord. We know from John 1.1 1, 1, that the Lord Jesus, he is called the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Proverbs 4, 4, he says, He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words. That's what he's saying here. That's what it means to, to, allow, to, to let his words abide in us. Man, man, that our heart is retaining the very words of the Lord. Keep my commandments and live. So Colossians 3 tells us this command very similarly as we're talking about letting the words of God abide in us. Because again, there's, there, there is no... There is no disconnect between God's words abiding in us and us abiding in the Lord. It's the same thing. They're, they're, they're deeply connected. Because Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. But I want you to see this because, again, how do we study Scripture? We study Scripture scripturally, which is comparing Scripture with Scripture. And I want you to notice this phrase that I've underlined. <coughs> he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So what do we do around here? We compare Scripture with Scripture. We can take phrases and see where they're used in other places in the Word of God. Well, notice that brings us to Ephesians 5. And we see that same phrase, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. Okay, So there's a connection here, but I want you to see this, what the Apostle Paul is doing here through the Spirit of God is he's giving us parallels. He's giving us, two, giving us two rows that are running parallel. The first one is telling us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And then he tells us that whole deal we, we just laid out. But then notice in Ephesians 5, this is what he says. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And then we see this whole thing played out with the psalms and hymns and all that stuff. So what, what am I getting at? What are we saying? What we're saying is, what the Lord is laying out is that uh, letting the words of God dwell in us, letting the words of God abide in us, is the very same thing as being filled with the Spirit. They're parallels. 
Because the Spirit of God answers to the Word of God. And so, we, we talk a lot in here about Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit. And I think if, if somebody wasn't a Bible believer and they didn't know this book, they would almost think that's some kind of mystical uh, feeling that like, oh, I, I know when I'm walking in the Spirit because I just got that feeling going on inside of me. No, no, no. What walking in the Spirit is is allowing the words of God to abide in us and that we're getting in those things and that we're allowing those things to speak into our lives on a consistent basis. And, man, we're, we're meditating on them. We're dwelling on them. We're memorizing them, just like David says, so that we might not sin against the Lord. And that's what the Lord's, that's what the Lord's breaking down here. Hey, if you abide in me, then my words will be abiding in you. So again, a litmus test for if we're abiding in Christ is how much are his words abiding in you on a daily basis. If they're not, then there's no, there's no way to, to not connect the dots, but you're not abiding in Christ. Not practically, not like John 15 lays out. And the same for me. So, we, we, so abiding in, in uh, this whole thing of, of, of verse 7 is letting us know that abiding in Jesus always results in his word abiding in us. But secondly, I want you to see this. Abiding in Jesus always results in God answering prayer. Now, does he always answer it exactly the way that we want him to? No. But if we're abiding in Jesus and his words are abiding in us, then you can take it to the bank based on verse 7 that, that, hey, notice what he says. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of Baptists that have a hard time with wrapping their head around that verse. Because if you're like me, I've done a lot of praying, I've done a lot of asking, and it wasn't done unto me. So there's a disconnect, right? And so we've got to figure out what that disconnect is. Well, notice, notice a cross-reference here, uh, a chapter earlier, John 14. He says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, there's an important phrase, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if, if ye shall ask anything in my name, there it is again, I will do it. Okay, well, we need, what exactly is, is that? He's saying that his words have to abide in us, and if they do, we'll ask certain things, and he'll do it. He tells us in John 14 that if we ask anything in his name, that he'll do it. Well, then we, that brings us to 1 John 5. And he says this, and, and this is really the, the, the verse that to me explains it all, of what he's laying out here. And this is the confidence that we have in him. Do you have confidence in prayer? I have many, many years of my life did not have confidence in prayer. But this is what he says. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will. There's the key. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the, peti the petitions that we desired of him. So that brings us to this. The problem, because we're what we're talking about here, when I say that Baptists have a hard time wrapping their head around this, is the reason that many people don't have confidence in prayer is because they have had ineffective prayer. And so that, this is the reason. The problem with ineffective prayer is that people are praying without abiding. People are praying all the time without abiding in the Lord. They're praying, they're, they're lifting up requests unto the Lord, but man, they haven't darkened that book in, in years. And you know what? It's shown in their prayer life. It's shown in what they pray for. It's shown in how they pray. So the problem with ineffective prayer is that people are praying, hey, me included, many times. People are praying without abiding. Notice the, the, prere the prerequisite there again in verse 7. He says, if... If is not certain, right? If is subjective, if we do something. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So this is our second, our second note here. Praying, which is a, a reverse way of what we just looked at. Praying with no abiding leads to unbiblical prayer, and that's the key. That's what it all boils back down to. The reason that people pray the reason that people ha ha have no power in their prayer life is because 
They're not abiding in the Word of God. And because of that, the very way they pray is not in line with the, the Word of God. It's not in line with the will of God. So pray, prayer with no abiding leads to unbiblical prayer, which therefore leads to ineffective prayer. So notice, this whole thing in John 15, what's the, what's the context? Well, the context is it's talking about bearing fruit, which comes from abiding. And then in verse 7, he says, man, in the context of, of us yielding ourselves to him on a daily basis and him working through us to produce fruit, he says, in that context, if ye abide in me and in my words abide in you, you shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. The problem with our prayer lives is James 4, verse 3. He says, ye ask and receive not. Because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lust. The problem with prayer, and Brother Dan, you can come play that if you would, man. The problem with, with, with our prayer lives oftentimes, and my prayer life in many years in my life, is that it's not in line with the will of the Father. And the reason my prayer life was not in line with the will of the Father is because I wasn't letting his words abide in me. And as we continue to come to this thing, what is it? It's Romans 12, 2. That says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. That's why people pray selfishly, is their mind hasn't been renewed. But be transformed through the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and, and, and acceptable and perfect will of God. Man, our, oftentimes our problem in this whole thing is we are not praying it with, with the mindset that, hey, Lord, I want to produce fruit. Lord, I want to produce fruit that will last at the judgment seat of Christ. Lord, I want to glorify you. Lord, I want my will to be thy will. God, I want to walk in the way that you want me to walk. So it brings us to this, this last point here. The key to effective prayer is that it is, is that, well, see, the key to effective prayer is that it desires God's will because they trust God and know that He knows best. So, do you desire God's will in your life? God's will in your life is that you produce fruit, God's will in your life is that you abide in Him and that you dwell with Him and that you spend time intimately with Him. Because as we say so much around here, we are saved from hell when we got saved. Praise God for that. But we're also saved to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So man, may we not be, because again, this is Laodicea. May we not be the many droves of people. I feel like every, uh, truly, I don't know a lot of people. But I feel like on a monthly basis, I'm hearing of somebody that is falling away from the Lord. And again, if John 15 is true, it's because th there was a lack of abiding. Because fruit comes from abiding. So man, if, we're not, if you're not allowing these words to abide in you on a daily basis, if you're not praying in line with the will of the Father, if you're not spending intimate time with Him, then man, let the Lord lead you into that. So as, as Daniel sings, you come, you do business with the Lord, you do business in your pew, do whatever you need to do. And if you're here this morning and you've never received Christ, man, that last song that we sang earlier says that it is finished. Okay? It says that, that the payment was full. Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross was sufficient to pay for our sin debt. But that doesn't guarantee you a relationship with Jesus. You have to act upon that. You have to receive it. You've got to accept Christ. So if you'd like to do that or have questions about that, you come forward and I'll take this Bible and show you how you can do that. So we'll let Daniel sing and you do business with the Lord however he leads you to do. Take away the melodies Take away the songs I sing Take away all the lies Oh, the song you live.
I thank you for the opportunity that we've had uh, this morning, Lord, just to, to spend time in your house, to spend time with you. I thank you for the, for the good time of worship that we had. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I pray that, if anything, that the last two weeks of, of this in John 15 would simply be a reminder. Uh, Paul says that the things that he told the churches, it was needful that he remind them of, the, of those things. Because, God, you know me and you know your people. Lord, it's so easy for us to neglect the main things. It's so easy for us to, to try to, to stay busy and to keep doing the things you've called us to, but not actually be fueled and spend time with you in our relationship with you. So, God, I pray that, that you would use this as a reminder of that. I pray that, God, if, if, if there's a Christian that is not abiding in you, I pray that they begin abiding. They begin resting in you. They begin getting intimate with you. Lord, I pray that if there, there are some that are abiding, God, I pray that you would help us abide in a more deep, in a more deep way. Lord, again, we're reminded of verse two that you prune us, you cut us back, you do things in our life, our, the seasons of our life, the the very things you allow in our life are, are not by accident, but they're done to drive us to abide in you more deeply. So I pray that you do that in our lives. I pray that you continue to bless our church. pray that you would be with Brother Lee and them as they're still out of town. Give them a good rest of the trip and safe travel mercies when they come back. Or be with the many things that we have going on. Use these for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.